In your Bibles, if you would, Psalm 142. Psalm 142. In uh, September 2022, um, my family lost my grandpa. My grandpa and I were very, very close. Um, I have his, his first name is my middle name. He was the first person to hold me as a baby. Um, and so we were very, very close. Um, we, we, we shared, I, I got to speak a little bit at his funeral, and uh, we, shared, we shared a lot in common. Um, and it has been pretty difficult over the last year and a half or so um, with him being gone, but particularly for my grandma. Uh, my grandma had, was married to my grandpa for 64 years, um, and she doesn't drive. And so when everywhere she went, my grandpa went. And so she has very much, she has very much struggled with losing my grandpa. Uh, about 13 years ago, my sister moved out of the house. I have a sister, younger sister, who's four years younger than me. She, she would tell you it's like three years and eight months, but I maintain it's four years because rounding works and it benefits me in that way. Um, but she's about four years younger than I am, and about 13 years ago, she moved out of the house, and uh, my parents became empty nesters. And uh, that was an adjustment, apparently. Um, I'm clearly not in the empty nest stage of my life. Um, my nest is very full. Uh, but empty nesting was, uh, was definitely an adjustment for my parents. Um, even personally speaking, I remember back in high school and even in college, um, despite being surrounded by people, very much feeling alone. Um, very much feeling like I didn't have anybody who got me, who understood me. Um, now all of these things have something in common. And that is a little thing called loneliness. Um, there are messages that you'll hear preached that are very doctrinal. That's all about the truth um, about who God is or about what the Bible teaches about a certain topic. Um, this isn't one of those messages. Uh, this message is meant to be very practical. Um, anybody ever felt the way I felt losing my grandpa or my parents empty nesting or, you know, even feeling like anybody ever felt that way? Don't worry. You are not alone. In fact, a 2020 survey done by Cigna found that 58% of people who responded to their survey often or sometimes feel like no one knows them well. Wow. Yeah. Um, further than that, a, they found that 52% of people report sometimes or often feeling lonely. Wow. Now those numbers are staggering, but they're even more staggering when you realize that those are increases over the same survey done in 2018. Post-COVID, um, they found that those who report feeling lonely has increased by four times. Wow. Loneliness is a real problem in our world and in our country today. But what is the biblical response to loneliness? Um, and so what I'd like to do tonight is take a look at Psalm 142. And if you found Psalm 142, if you would stand with me as we read Psalm 142. David writes, 
I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him, I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know this message. You know the tone of this message. You know the content of the message. But more importantly, Lord, you know the heaviness of the hearts of people in this room and people who are hearing this message. Lord, I ask that you would work in hearts that you would strengthen them, that you would comfort them, that you would uplift them, and you would help them to understand that they're not alone. Amen. Work through your word tonight in the hearts of your people. We ask this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we study Psalm 142, what we're going to find is that Psalm 142 provides three helps for those on how to handle loneliness. Biblically. How to handle loneliness biblically. The first thing we understand and the first tip, and again, I, I, I hope you see, I want this to be very practical. I want this to provide very helpful tips for you. Um, the, but the first step, the first tip that we're given is to submit to the certainties. Submit to the certainties. Now, as we read Psalm 142, I hope you caught the tone of what David was saying. If you actually look at Psalm 142, not the text of the psalm itself, but above it, it says a prayer when he was in a cave. Now, based off of the content, or the content of this psalm, we are guessing, or, or we can make an educated guess, that David is probably here on the run from Saul. He is probably in a cave, Deep, dark cave where he is seeking shelter from the king who's out to kill him. He's had promises made to him um, by God, anointing him king of it, the next king of Israel. He has served Saul in the palace, and yet he is on the run, and he is all by himself. Yeah. Now, as we read Psalm 142, I want you to understand that the feelings are real. Please understand something as I move forward with this message. If you're here and you connect to the feelings that David are here, I am not trying to negate any of those feelings. There is without question, it is without question that those feelings are real. I'm not trying to minimize those feelings. I'm, I'm telling you, it's been... It's been about 16, 17 months since, I lost, when, since we lost my grandpa. And I know, how much it, I know how much it's hurting my grandma. I'm going to be honest with you. The end of February is going to come. And February, any sports fan knows that the best event happens in February. 
No, it is not the Super Bowl. It is the opening of MLB spring training. My grandpa and I were massive Detroit Tigers fans. And every year, we would call toward the end of spring training and we'd complain about what the Tigers are doing this year. I'm going to tell you this. When February comes, I'm going to grab my cell phone and I'm going to open it up. And I'm going to want to call him. And I'm not going to be able to. And so, please understand that I am not trying to negate or minimize any of the feelings that are associated with loneliness. Because the feelings are real. As David is back in this cave and he's penning this psalm, he unquestionably feels abandoned. He unquestionably feels alone. He unquestionably feels hopeless. He unquestionably feels scared. The feelings that he experiences are very real. And the reasons that he felt these feelings are very real. David is legitimately on the run from the most powerful man in the nation of Israel. He is bouncing from hiding spot to hiding spot to preserve his life. By the way, he ends up making some really bad decisions as a result of this, but we'll get there in a little while. So I want you to understand, and I'm going to say it again, that nothing that is said tonight is meant to negate any feelings of loneliness, is meant to minimize those feelings, because those feelings are without a doubt real. While those feelings are real, I also want you to understand something. Feelings are not rational. Um, I, am, I will admit that I am not a Disney fan. One of the reasons I'm not a Disney fan is it seems like the ongoing message of Disney movies is follow your heart. Can I be honest? That is like the worst advice ever. Because feelings and the heart as the seed of emotion does not lead you to make good decisions. If you look in uh, Proverbs chapter 28, Proverbs chapter 28 verse 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. I will tell you this. I make bad grocery store decisions when I'm hungry. I, my hunger clouds my judgment, and I'm just going to put it bluntly, and it makes me stupid. Okay? If I go into the grocery store when I'm hungry, I am bound to come out with a family-sized pack of double-stuffed Oreos. Just being honest. My, my emotions cloud my judgment because feelings are not rational. How many people have made dumb decisions on the road because they were angry? And when I say dumb, I'm not talking like, oh, I yelled at somebody. I'm talking like life-changing, life-altering decisions because they were mad on the road. In fact, it's so, it's so real that we have a term for it. It's called road rage. You see... While those feelings are very real, I want you to understand those feelings are not rational. Trusting in your emotions never brings you to a right path. 
Now, while feelings are real, and while feelings are not rational, I do want you to understand, facts are freeing. Facts are freeing. You see, we're talking about the first tip being submit to the certainties, because despite how real the emotions are, what we have to do is we have to submit our emotions to the truth that we know. The things that we know with absolute certainty. So let's look back at our psalm. Psalm 142, because this is exactly what David does. When David is feeling lonely, when David is feeling overwhelmed by the emotions, he refers back to the things that he knows to be true. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 142. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. First thing we see is that David remembers that God is sovereign. He says, you knew my path. When I was overwhelmed, you knew my path. This speaks to the fact that God has a path, that God has a plan, and that David knew that to be true. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 10 say this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's the simple truth. God's plan is bigger and better for you, and he's got a purpose that he's trying to accomplish. That's what it comes down to. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know it's not ideal. I know that this is not going the way that you thought it was going to go. But I'm telling you that the events that have happened to you, the things that you are dealing with in your life are there because God's got a better plan for you than you do. And he's got a purpose that he's trying to work out through those things. You see, when I am overwhelmed with my emotions... I can submit to the certainty that God is sovereign. Not only does David submit to the certainty that God is sovereign, he submits to the certainty that God is present. Look over at verse 5 of Psalm 142. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge. Now, if you actually look back a couple verses, you'll see that he says that his refuge failed him. But he's saying now that God is his refuge. The, the simple, say, simple idea being that when David's idea or David's plan or David's safety failed him, God was present. God was his refuge. Can I tell you that when you are overwhelmed with loneliness, you have to remember that God is present. He is there. Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Catch this. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When you are overwhelmed by the emotion of loneliness, you feel like no one understands. You feel like you are stuck on an island by yourself and nobody gets it. When you are overwhelmed with the fact that there is no one on your side, I want you to understand something. God is there and he is there for you. 
And so as we submit to these certainties, we submit to the certainty of God's sovereignty, we submit to the certainty of God's presence, finally we submit to the certainty of God's care. Look at verse 5 again of Psalm 142. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. He says, God, not only are you present, you're taking care of me. Matthew chapter 10 and verses 29 through 31 say this. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God values you. Amen. He has a plan for you. He is present with you. And he takes care of you as one with value. I'm going to tell you this. And, and I, I, I apologize if this is going to shake you to the core. Okay? I can't fix your loneliness. I can't. But what I can tell you is that God can take better care of you than any other person, than any person on this earth. That God will provide what you need so that you are taken care of. You see, he says, two sparrows are sold for a farthing. That's not much. And your father knows if one of them drops to the ground. Essentially, he's saying, how much more does he care for you? With David here, he's, David recognizes that in the land of the living... In, in, in the existence that I have, in the realm in which I am living currently, God, you're my portion. He says, God, you're what I need right here where I'm at. Deep in this cave, running for my life, fleeing the man who I was helping, God, you're taking care of me. And so if we are going to overcome loneliness, if we are going to recognize how to get past that loneliness or how to deal with that loneliness. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, I don't say it past it in a minute. Um, we've got to submit to the certainties. In times when you are feeling overwhelmed, go back to what you know is true. Yeah. John chapter 8 and verse 32 puts it as, about as clearly as you can. And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I'm going, to, I'm going to mention this. It is so easy in, this, in, the, in those moments when we are overwhelmed with emotions, it is so easy to lose sight and lose track of what the truth is. Um, there's actually some neurology and psychology behind it, but I don't understand it well enough to explain it. Um, something about the parts of the brain and what controls what and getting synapses. To, and I, 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 I'm just telling you, there's some, actual, there's some actual neurology to it as well, but... What it comes down to is emotions leave you in bondage. In fact, David refers to it as a prison. Yeah. Um, emotions leave you in bondage, but the truth shall make you free. Amen. Um, Joseph Bailey put it this way. Don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. That's good. That's right. good point. So, how do we... How, what are the helps for loneliness? Number one, submit to the certainties. Number two, seek counsel. 
seek counsel. Now, when I say seek counsel, most people's brains immediately go to some sort of counseling or therapy. I'm going to say this. It is my opinion that those aren't bad things. If, if, if you need help, talk to someone. In fact, we're going to cover that a little bit later. A, a, little bit, a little bit later. If you need help, talk to somebody. We have a pastoral staff here who would love to talk to you. If the, if the issue is greater than they can handle, they will be happy to refer you to somebody who can help you or who they think might be able to help you. I'm going to say therapy and counseling are not bad things. But when we talk about seeking counsel in this context, that's not what we're talking about. Look with me again over and over again through Psalm 142. Look at verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Look over at verse 5. I cried unto thee, O Lord. Verse 6. Attend unto my cry. Where does David seek counsel when he is overwhelmed with loneliness? He seeks counsel from God. Okay? Too often when we are struggling, God is our last resort. We don't need God to be the last resort. We need God to be the first source that we go to when we are struggling. Okay? So, what do I do when I'm overwhelmed with loneliness? Seek counsel. Now, I want you to look at this passage, and I want you to please be open-minded as I say some of this. When we pray, I want to show you three characteristics that we should, or two characteristics. Two characteristics of our prayers when we are overwhelmed with loneliness. Number one, pray passionately. Pray passionately. Let me, let me read this again. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Can you catch the emotion that David prays with? I'm going to say this, and, and, I, and I, hope this, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. And if it does, I, please come talk to me because it's not meant to. God can handle your questions, struggles, and emotions. If you look throughout particularly the Old Testament, but I would argue the New Testament as well, particularly during Paul's travels and some of the things that Peter goes through, um, but if you look through the Old Testament particularly, you will see time and time again examples of Old Testament saints pouring out themselves before God. David does it on a regular basis. Um, Elijah does it on occasion. If you go back to uh, in the Kings, Elijah is sinking in what we would classify as depression and he cries out to God in it. Right. Hannah did this when she was struggling to bring forth a son. And we see the entire book of Job almost as a lament of what Job is going through. Can I tell you something? God is big enough to handle your emotions. 
Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. When I first read that, and for years, I always believed that that meant no matter what request was on my heart, I could take it to God. Now, I believe that's true. There is no prayer request too small for God. Um, if you've ever prayed with little kids, you would understand this. Um, praying with little kids is always an adventure. Um, you never know what's coming out. Um, but there is not a, a, a concern on a Christian's heart that is too small for God to care about. So when I read that verse, that's immediately what my brain goes to. But as I read that over and over again, I learn something that it's not just about the requests. It's about the feelings. There is not a feeling that I experience that God doesn't care about. God is not a genie in a bottle who is meant to, who I rub the lamp and he's meant to fix all my problems or grant me all my wishes. If we have a relationship with God like we're supposed to have, I want you to understand, God cares about what you're feeling. And, and we understand this in a marriage relationship. We expect some sort of emotional attachment. Um, you know, in my house, I'm not just a paycheck. Like, I, when I come home, my wife doesn't just want a paycheck and food in the refrigerator and, you know, rent paid for and utilities paid for. Like, that's not what she's looking for from me. There's meant to be an emotional connection in a marriage relationship. Right? I mean, we understand that, right? Why wouldn't that be true in our relationship with God? Do you think God doesn't care about your emotions? Do you think God doesn't care about how you feel? Because when I read casting all your care upon him for he careth for you, I'm presented with a God who cares about me as an individual and what I'm experiencing and what I'm going through and what I'm struggling with. And I'm telling you that God is big enough to handle your emotions. So why in the world do we try to pretty up our prayers? Why do we try to clean up before we approach God? When you read Psalm 142, you cannot come to me and tell me that David is portraying himself in a way that he would like God to see him. He is not coming to God with class and dignity. He is pouring out himself before God. So why don't we? So we need, as we seek counsel, we need to learn to pray passionately. But we don't just need to pray passionately. We need to learn to pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. Again, as you read this, you're not getting the, you don't get the gist that David is got his prepared seven-verse psalm that he is presenting before God. He doesn't turn on his prayer voice where it deepens a little bit and starts using words that you don't use in a normal circumstance. Can I be honest? We need to start praying sincerely. We need to start praying sincerely. Let's put it this way. He already knows. He's there with you. And he has felt it himself. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. I think every sermon I write this verse comes up in it. 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verse, four, or verse 15. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Please don't miss that phrase, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Every human emotion you experience, Jesus Christ has experienced it himself. Uh, when, when all of the disciples run away from the Garden of Gethsemane as he's being taken, do you think Jesus felt lonely? How about as he's hanging on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You think he felt lonely? You see, God already knows. He's already there. He's already experienced it. And so we can approach God and we can go to God and we can pray not only passionately but sincerely. He gets it. I found this quote in um, Spurgeon's Treasury of David. Great book. If, you want, if you're ever looking for a commentary on the book of Psalms, I strongly recommend Charles Spurgeon's Treasury of David. Um, but I, he quotes uh, on a former pastor named Abraham Wright, and he says, the committing of our cause to God is at once our duty, our safety, and our ease. You see, most of us stop at number one. Most of us stop at prayer as our duty. Some people get to a point where prayer becomes our safety. But how often do we miss the fact that prayer is what eases the burden off of us. Again, the committing of our cause to God is at once our duty, our safety, and our ease. So what helps me during a time of overwhelming loneliness? Number one, submit to the certainties. Number two, we need to seek counsel. And finally, number three, we need to surround yourself with church. Surround yourself with church. Now, the church was not in existence when David wrote this. Okay? I'm, I'm, but there are two concepts that we see, particularly in the last two verses, really the last verse, that when we read it, it's going to sound very much like church. So, again in Psalm 142, verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Surround yourself with church. Number one, find community. Find community. David's desire was that the righteous shall come past me about. You know what that sounds like to me? Fellowship. I want you to understand something, that there are people in this world, and I believe in this congregation, who are suffering or have suffered just like you are. One of the curses of loneliness is that loneliness causes us to think that no one gets it. And when we think no one gets it, what we do is we isolate ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves, all we're doing is pushing ourselves deeper into loneliness. It is a repeating cycle over and over again. As I feel that loneliness, I don't think anybody understands. I isolate myself, which causes me to feel the loneliness deeper. Which causes me to think that nobody understands. Which causes me to isolate myself even more. Which causes me to sink into loneliness even deeper. 
Loneliness is a perpetuating cycle. And so what is the anecdote? The anecdote is to surround yourself with community. To find a community. While the specifics or the details of the individual struggles may differ, the base emotions still relate. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 is probably one of those verses that just sums this up so beautifully that there's nothing really to say. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. This, I believe, is the singular purpose of fellowship. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another. I'll be honest, this is why our small groups here at Harvest Baptist Temple are focused on life experiences or similar life stages. Why do we teach teens together? Well, there's really two reasons. Number one is because we are able to take the Bible and put it on a level to which they would understand. Okay? Um, a kid's mind operates differently than a teenager's mind, which operates differently from an adult mind. So we're, either, we're able to take the Word of God and put it on a level where they understand it. But the other reason is because who understands teenagers better than other teenagers? Who is it going through the exact same experiences at the exact same time? I'm, I'm going to give you a perfect example. I graduated. I'm old. I've accepted that I'm old. I'm, I'm bracing for the fact that I'm old, getting older. Um, I will actually have my oldest in youth group next year, which is a terrifying thought. Um, when I graduated in 2003, there was no such thing as social media. And I'm going to tell you right now that in a teenager's life, social media is a major problem. Now, who understands that struggle better than the other teenagers who are going through that struggle? This is why I love Grief Share. You know what Grief Share is doing? It's literally bringing a community together that is struggling with the same or similar things and building each other up and encouraging each other, and helping each other. That's the entire point. And so, what we've got to do is we've got to find people who get it. I'm going to be honest, I've, I've, I, the, the closest relation to me that I have lost is my grandfather. Um, I cannot imagine what my grandma's going through. But can I tell you guys something? There are people in this room who can. And my, my grandma lives in Michigan. Um, you know, they've got a, a, a community at their church. So I, I, my, my hope is that there are, able, there are people she's able to connect with who experience the same sort of thing. Um, but the simple idea is, while I can't connect with her on that level... We can share our, our love for him and, and the loss and the struggle that it causes us, but I don't get it like she's dealing with it. But again, there are people in this room who do. There are people in this room who have lost a grandfather or a grandmother that they were particularly close to. And when I told my story, you immediately went, I know exactly what you're talking about. Can I tell you that helps me? 
And so the simple idea is that we've got to find community. And loneliness pushes you away from finding that community. But I'm telling you that community is exactly what you need. So surround yourself with church. The first step to that is find community. The second step is to focus on God. Um, Now we have, this message actually has a ton of theology in it. Particularly theology proper, the study of who God, or of the study of God and who He is, and so. But it, it's a reminder that in those times of loneliness, focus on something bigger than you, and that is God. Amen. Look again at verse seven. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise Thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. How do we focus on God? Number one, focus on his person. Focus on his person. David's desire in this psalm is to bring praise to God for who he is. Amen. So we focus on who he is. But the second thing that David praises God for, and is, again, it's the end of verse 7, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. It's not just focusing on his person, but it's focusing on his dealings. Listen to me, even though for David, times are dark right now, he knows that God has, God is, and God will deal bountifully with him. Now, please get this truth. If you get nothing else from this entire message, please get this. Even when times are dark and lonely, God is still good. Man, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Life is hard. Man, people are mean. People are tough. Like even, I got Mr. Petrie hanging around now. Mr. Petrie's mean to me sometimes, guys. In all seriousness, I love the Petries dearly. They have been a huge blessing to me and my family. Um, I just had to say that, so now it's on record, so I can pick on you relentlessly. Um, Listen. Life is hard. Life circumstances are hard. Situations come up and they're tough. Sometimes people are mean. Sometimes the world is cold. But even in all those times, please hear me. God is good. It may not feel like it at that moment. Listen, as I was, as I was standing, I don't, I, don't, I don't cry a lot. I'm not an emotional guy. Um, I can count on one hand the number of times I've cried in the 15 years I've been married, and one of them was my wedding. My wife, who cries at everything, doesn't cry at my wedding, but I, who cry at nothing, do. Explain that one to me. Um, no, I, I'm not an emotional guy. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, when I stood behind that pulpit and I was, I was sharing some things about my grandpa, I'm thinking to myself, how is this fair? There are so many nasty people out in this world. Why does God have to take one of the good ones? Man, I'm going to be honest with you. In that moment, it did not feel like God is good. But going back to how this all started, even when it doesn't feel like God is good, that does not change the reality that God is always good. And so how do we deal with with loneliness. We submit ourselves to the certainties. 
We don't let the emotions overcloud, or overcloud the fact that God is who he is and the truth has not changed. We seek counsel. We take it to God. I promise you he's big enough to handle it. And number three, we surround ourselves with church. We surround ourselves, we find community, people who understand, people who can not only sympathize, but who can empathize. And we focus on God. We focus on his, his nature, his person, his character, and we remember his dealings with us. I'm going to be honest, I don't really know how to do an invitation for a sermon like this. But I will say, I think the message is summed up like this. I know that loneliness is real. I know that it's hard. And I know that it hurts. I also know that running through three tips for how to deal with loneliness biblically doesn't make the hurt or the pain go away. Truth be told, when I was preparing this message... I didn't expect to get emotional. I, I really, like, outside of the little bit of emotion that I showed at my grandpa's funeral, I really hadn't gotten emotional about it at all. Um, but I know that going through these tips doesn't make the hurt or doesn't make the pain go away. Yeah. But I can confidently tell you, based on the authority of God's word, that regardless of how low you feel, you are not alone. God is with you. He hears you. He is working on your behalf. He understands where you're coming from. And he has a plan and a purpose for the pain. No matter how dark this time seems, rest on him. Lay your burdens and your feelings on him. And let him give you rest.